Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Rootspace Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815 on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, My Lockout Primer and ask me questions if I was confusing. I don't talk about the lockout very much. I don't talk about the lockout very much. I'm not going to talk about the lockout very much. On occasion, I will go under the impression that the lockout is going to last, oh, four or five more days at least. And since the lockout's going to last four or five more days at least, what should teams be doing because the lockout is probably going to last four or five more days at least. I'm not going to talk much about the lockout. I'm not going to talk about the lockout very much, in large part because the way I would talk about the lockout is entirely different from how most people would talk about the lockout. And I'm under the impression that the way... (coughs) Excuse me, the way... (coughs) excuse me, take three, the way I would talk about the lockout probably wouldn't resonate well with most people. Let's imagine, 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 imagine your favorite blog, whatever your favorite blog is, your favorite baseball blog is talking about the lockout and how it should be dealt with, how it should be fixed, what the possible resolution might be, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people will take the I'm a Cubs fan hat, toss a batting helmet on, put on some batting gloves, and say what ought to happen is Major league teams ought to spend a whole lot more on player salaries. All this 180 million or 185 million or 208 million or what? These numbers are peanuts. The owners are a whole lot more rich than that. The owners ought to spend a whole lot more money on free agency. Completely good with that take. Completely good with that take. Some people will say, but you see, I'm not a Cubs fan. I'm a Pirates fan. My team is not going to spend 200, 225, 230 million on payroll. We're just not going to do that. And it's unfair for your team who will possibly spend a whole bunch of money to get those advantages. So instead, what I would rather do is discuss how we can have limits, have reasonable spending. You see how that's not just that that's just not going to work. It's not going to work if you have a whole bunch of, for instance, Cubs fans talking about, well, it ought to be this way, it ought to be this way, it ought to be this way, it ought to be this way. 
if someone does happen to happen along and take up a contrary point of view, then they are in danger of getting what's the term ratioed. And like the one time that I was on a Braves blog talking about a potential Cubs-Braves trade, and the Braves fans made it completely evident, completely evident, that not only, not only was I being completely unreasonable in what I thought the Cubs ought to receive in exchange for a Victor Caratini trade, not only was I asking for way too much, but that the Cubs should actually be ecstatic with the pittance of a return that the 8, 9, 10, 11, 14 people who were ratioing me would offer. No, 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 no. You're asking for too much. The Cubs ought to be completely satisfied with, well, this guy, he was good for you. Yeah, but he's had two Tommy John surgeries. Well, you can come back from those. Or, or whatever it was, whatever it was, whatever it was. Or maybe my memory is poor, and they were actually making perfectly realistic offers. Who knows? What I would like to do in talking about the lockout is talking about is talk about one specific angle of the lockout that very few people want to talk about. Very, 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 very few people want to talk about for whatever reason. And perhaps it's a good thing that that discussion doesn't happen or happens rarely. Perhaps it is. Perhaps it isn't. Who knows? But if I were to talk about the lockout, here's how it would go. First off, why is there a lockout? Why is there a lockout? There's a lockout because the owners, the 30 owners, or the 30 ownership groups, however you wish to put it, I'm going to stick with the 30 owners. The 30 owners have a visual model of how they like to make money hand over fist. Make money hand over fist. That is why they are baseball owners. They're not baseball owners because they love baseball. Some of them might be. Some of them might not be. They like baseball because they can be completely flipping incompetent at their job and still make money hand over fist. Let's say you're an Uber driver. Reasonable assumption? Probably not accurate in most cases, but let's say you're an Uber driver. Uber has expectations. You are supposed to um, be able to drive from here to there. You are supposed to have a reasonably good driving record. You're not supposed to be taking the wheel if you're drunk. All seem reasonable. What happens if the Uber, Uber driver said, no, 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 we don't want that. We want to be able to drive when we're drunk. See how that's not going to work? Because Uber doesn't want people to start dying in car wrecks because Uber drivers were drunk. Major League Baseball owners want to be 
absolutely incompetent at their jobs and still make money. As long as they can be completely incompetent at their jobs and still make gob tons of money, the owners, they're happy. They're good with that. As long as they can be completely bad at their jobs. Well, Tim, what do you mean by owners being completely bad at their jobs? How long has it been since the Seattle Mariners made the postseason? It's been a while. It's really been a while. You would think that if they had any sort of a reasonably decent put-together thing of, hey, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do At some point, they'd make the playoffs. It's been a while. It's been a while. The Angels have the best hitter and the best hitter-pitcher in baseball. They can't make the playoffs. Um, some of that time, it's been the A's who don't spend a whole lot of money making the playoffs instead of them. Sometimes it's been Houston. Um, sometimes it was the Rangers. But for for whatever reason, for whoever the guilty parties are, the Mariners haven't been making the playoffs. But nonetheless, they're making money. They have a very beautiful part. And most of the time, they sell a lot of tickets to their games, so the owners are fine. They haven't won. They haven't made the playoffs, but they make money. Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, they had a nice little run between, what was it, 2013 and 2015? But that, they're bad. They're bad. They were bad before that. They're bad now. They'll probably have a two or three or four year run here in the next, I don't know, what, five, six, seven years? Then after that, they'll be bad for a while. Why? Because their owners prefer making money to winning. Owners want a collective bargaining agreement where they can be bad at their jobs and still make money. If they're not going to be able to be bad at their jobs and still make money, they're not going to vote for the agreement. They're not going to. That's how I talk about the lockout. How is it, how is it, how is it, how is it that the players are going to get what they want or somewhat near what they want and owners can still have Oh, I don't know what, 25, 26, 27 of the owners are probably really good. And a couple of them are totally incompetent. I'm not saying that the Mariners owner is incompetent. I'm not saying that the Pirates owner is entirely incompetent. But it really does seem from year to year, there's a couple of teams that, nah, they're, they're bad. They're, they're bad. For a while, it was the Marlins. No. They're, they're bad. Some of you will say, the Pirates, no, 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 no. They're, they're bad. Usually there are a couple of teams, and for a good long while, honestly, the Cubs were, no, 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 no. 
No, they're bad. For some years, the White Sox were bad. But no, there have been a number of teams through the years. Usually there are a few teams that they're bad. They're bad. There really is no pot commitment to. We have to make sure that in the next, oh, two or three or four years, we are going to have an 85, 87, 92, 96, 98, 103 win team. And if that's not happening, I'm going to start firing people and bringing in people and spending money and doing things until we have a good organization. For some organizations, that is the expectation, the standard. For some organizations, nah, 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 nah. They're, they're bad. And for owners, the 30 owners, to agree to any sort of an agreement, those two or three or four owners are going to have to be allowed to be bad and still make gob tons of money. Because if that doesn't happen, the owners are not going to ratify the agreement. So while people are talking, no, it shouldn't be 180 being the limit, it shouldn't be 210 being the it should. How are the owners going to continue to be able to be bad at their jobs, incompetent at their jobs, and still make gob tons of money? That's my question. How is it going to play out where owners can be absolute idiots, absolutely incompetent, and still make gob tons of money? Rob Manfred's going to go out and do his thing, talk to BAM Tech, talk to ESPN, talk to whoever he's going to talk to. Give us more money. Well, why should we give you more money? Then he does his thing. He does a, oh, oh, okay, here's a check. And the, the check goes to the owners. The owners who really didn't do anything other than hire Rob Manfred and keep Rob Manfred hired, they just got more money. And it doesn't matter if they win 87 games or if they win 92 games. They're getting more money. Any agreement there's going to be, owners are going to be able to be incompetent and still make money. As the Wrigley's were from, oh, what you want to say? The late 1940s to... The mid-1960s, the Cubs were horribly run. They weren't even really hor- uh, all that well run from 67 to 73. And they were actually kind of good. They weren't even really w- run well then. But they still made enough money for the Wrigley's to stick around then. The Wrigley's sold to the Tribune. Mixed results. Fair assessment, mixed results. Tribune kept making money. Eventually, they sold. Tom Ricketts took over. Tom Ricketts, making money. Is Tom Ricketts competent? Is he a good guy? Is he a person with a soul? No. 
I don't know. Is he competent? I don't know. But anything that Tom Ricketts is going to vote for is going to be something where he can have two, three, four bad years and, here's the important thing, still make money. Still make money. Back a number of years ago, back a number of years ago, my younger brother was wavering, waffling. He liked football, American football, the NFL. But if you're familiar with the early 80s, the NFL, in the, in the 60s into the 70s, Players tended to be rather anonymous. Players tended to be rather anonymous. I'll use Terry Bradshaw for an example. Quarterback for Pittsburgh. He was really kind of anonymous. Even though he was a quarterback of a team that was repeatedly very good. He wasn't brash. He wasn't outgoing. He wasn't grabbing spotlights. Because that wasn't how things were done back then. As things started to turn into the 80s, players started to get more brash, and players that had been more brash had continued to accelerate that. Now, that wasn't what my brother was upset about. What my brother was upset about was that the league started to crack down on people showing emotions. End zone celebrations. That's a flag. That's unsportsmanlike conduct. We're going to punish you 15 yards on the kickoff. There's a lot of that going on. Honestly, there's a lot of that going on right now. And my brother started to get a little bit tired of the NFL cracking down on stuff. And there was a term back in the early 80s. They started to refer to the NFL as the no-fun league. And what ended up happening, along came the United States Football League. And my brother absolutely took to the USFL like a fish to water. He loved the USFL because A, it was football. B, well, there were some really bad teams and some really bad defenses. And the scores tended to get rather high. And teams were allowed to celebrate. Players were allowed to celebrate. And Jim Kelly, who was the quarterback for the Houston Gamblers, would eventually jump to the Buffalo Bills. And it was a natural for my brother. I'm going to follow Jim Kelly's team. And that's what it was. I'm going to follow Jim Kelly's team. And he still does. He still follows the Buffalo Bills. And my brother... Definitely enjoyed the United States Football League and eventually returned to enjoy the NFL. And he's still quite knowledgeable in the NFL. John, if you're listening, hey, how you doing? Um, I'm going to talk about the USFL a bit. What happened in the USFL, it started out with a realistic premise from a businessman perspective. A realistic premise 
we have a certain amount of tickets we are selling. What what that number was, I I don't know. You know, I I could give you a number. It would be wrong, but owners had a certain amount of tickets they were selling, and they knew this is how many tickets we're selling. If we spend less than that on payroll, it's a lie. It's a viable, not liable, viable business plan. So let, let's say, let, let's just invent some numbers. You're selling $16 million worth of tickets through the season. And you also have a TV plan. You also have a radio plan. You're also selling merch, but you're selling $16 million in tickets. But the owners were starting to do at the very start, and it made a whole lot of sense, was we're selling $16 million in tickets. We're going to spend $8, 10000000 on payroll. See how that works? Selling 16, spending 8 or 10. You have a little bit on top. You're paying for the rent on the building. You're paying for the employees. You're paying for the coaches. You're paying for this. Paying for the staff. You're, pay, you're paying for turning the lights on. Some of that comes with the ESPN deal. Some of it comes with this deal. Some of it comes with the radio deal. Some of it comes, all the, all the kind of stuff. So what ends up happening is the USFL owners were paying less on payroll than they were making in revenue, specifically tickets. Because tickets, if you're not selling tickets, then you're not going to be able to have a team. So what the owners were doing at the very start, and it made sense, no worked. As long as they were spending less or reasonably close to their ticket amounts on payroll, they were fine. They were fine. They were viable. Then all of a sudden, there was a new owner that came in. I'm not going to mention his name. If you know anything about the United States Football League, you know exactly who I'm talking about. But I'm not going to mention his name. And if you know why I'm not going to mention his name, you probably understand why I'm not going to mention his name. This owner came in and decided, hey, wait a minute, I can win this league if I spend more on payroll. If I spend more on payroll, I can increase the likelihood of me winning the league. So this new owner came in and he started spending more money on payroll than the other owners were. The other owners... Probably had a four-letter word to respond. Shit. Now we have to decide. Do we want to spend what we're making on ticket sales and limit our spending to that? Then we're going to finish in third or fourth place. 
because this guy's going to be in front of us and somebody else is going to spend more and somebody else is going to spend more. Somebody else is going to... Before long, the financial model was no longer viable. And shortly thereafter, the USFL went away. Largely, not entirely, but largely because the financial model quit being fiscally viable. The USFL died because the owners quit being fiscally viable. Major League Baseball owners are not going to stop being financially viable. Now, the Dodgers are going to spend a whole lot of money on payroll. You know why? It's not because they are evil. It's not because they are rotten. It's not because um, they are soulless. The reason the Dodgers are so willing to spend money on payroll is because largely, pretty much every single game they ever play in is in absolutely perfect weather in Los Angeles. Well, the weather for the first pitch today is going to be about 78 degrees. Seventh inning, eighth inning, it might be down to 72. Might drop down into the 60s, so you might want to bring a sweater to the game. Because it might drop down into the 60s. That's perfect weather. How many fit into Chavez Ravine? Oh, can they fit in 60? 60,000? And everybody knows the Dodgers are going to be good year after year after year after year. So if you're going to want to have your tickets to the game, especially the games that you actually want to go see, you have to have season tickets. So as soon as the Dodgers have their ticket sales day, the tickets sell out. Tickets are up a bit this year. Guess what? Owner has more money. So now, since the owner has to do no advertising to sell tickets, nothing. Just say, hey, guess what? We're having tickets go on sale tomorrow. They're sold out. His tickets allow him to be able to spend whole bunch of money on his payroll. That doesn't even include merch. That doesn't even include TV revenue. That doesn't even include the, I think they have two radio deals, one in one in English, one in Spanish. Might even have the same with local TV. I'm not entirely sure. But the Dodgers are in an ideal spot for having a baseball team. They have a fantastic venue. And they sell it out. Dodgers are going to spend a whole lot of money all the time on payroll. Why wouldn't they? Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, the weather is not ideal. The park's beautiful. The weather's not ideal. The team isn't very good. And the owners aren't going to do the we're going to push up payroll to 287 million to try to buy their way into the playoffs because what happens if Omicron variant 
completely shuts everything down. They're spending their money. They'd much rather spend ticket sales money on payroll, which clamps down on payroll. And if there is Omicron variant and they lose a number of games or an entire season like happened in 2020, it's not ideal. But if you have a payroll of, I don't know, what are the, what are the Pirates even spend? I'm not going to do the look at COTS. What are they, 70, 75 million a year? 55 million a year? I don't know what they are, but they're, if the owner is in a situation where he's not spending much on payroll, even if his attendance is down, he has a horrible year of, it's really cold and rainy and yucky, and the team loses 107 games, he can still make money. If you want to talk about the lockout and interest me in the discussion. It's kind of tough. It's kind of tough because you have to start with the premise of the owners are going to want to be able to be entirely incompetent and still make money. That's the starting point. That's the starting point for any discussion on the lockout that I would be even remotely interested in. So now, if you're going to have a situation where the starting point is a, an entirely incompetent owner still has to be a, able to make money hand over fist, how can we have a financially viable setup, much like the USFL had early, where a totally incompetent owner can still make money hand over fist. For years, the Philadelphia Phillies were terrible, 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 terrible. They're still the Philadelphia Phillies. And, you know, they, they might have sold, but they never, they were making enough money. Scheib Park Veterans Stadium, whichever, whatever, they were still making money. You have to walk me through some sort of a scenario where owners can still be entirely incompetent and still make money hand over fist, and the players can get kind of what they want as well. When you start getting anywhere near that, then I'll pay you some heed. But if you're not going to start with the concept of owners are going to do the least, some owners are going to do the least possible they can possibly get away with, but they still expect to make gobs of money. That's what it's going to take for this lockout to cease. Owners are going to be able to still be totally incompetent, totally counterproductive, do absolutely stupid, why the heck are you even thinking about doing that things? Kind of like the Cubs were doing in the 50s and the 60s. Why would you even think that would be a good idea? You really traded a player because he was dating white women? You really did that? Yeah, they made money doing it. I don't talk much about the lockout. I won't talk much about the lockout. 
for me to get involved in a discussion with the lockout. I want people to take off their baseball caps. I want people to take off their baseball caps. Whether it's, hey, I'm a Royals fan. I want the Royals to be able to get something out of this. Hey, I'm a Rays fan. I want the Rays to get... I'm a Seattle fan. I want Seattle... I'm a Red Sox fan. I want the Red... I'm a Cubs fan. I don't care. I don't care which team you are rooting for. The owners aren't going to vote for anything that doesn't benefit the owners. The owners aren't going to benefit vote for anything that isn't going to benefit an owner that really doesn't give a damn. If an owner decides, I'm going to be aggressive and do some things and da 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 you know, kind of like when, um, when Tom Ricketts decided, I'm going to give the keys to Theo Epstein, let him do whatever the hell he wants. That's being ballsy. That's being gutsy. That's being nervy. That was... I want to actually win a championship and I'm willing to take the back seat while this guy who actually knows what he's doing does what he does and wins me a damn championship. And he did. Not all owners want to do that. Not all owners want to do that. Not all owners will want to do that. And as I see, ooh, which team is it? That Cleveland is going to have new owners? A new owner? Or a new... I don't think it's going to be a majority owner, but it might be a plurality owner. Uh, somebody coming in has some NBA and some NFL experience or something like that. He's going to come in. He's going to... Maybe this guy will be good. Maybe this guy won't be good. But what he's going to want to do, he's going to want to make money. He's going to want to make money whether he tries or not. I can usually dip in on a discussion about the lockout and find out in about three or four comments. Is this a lockout discussion I wish to be involved in? And usually it's, yeah, really nah, really no. No, no, it isn't because people are more interested in, I want this to be something that will be, that will benefit my team. I want this to be something that will force owners to be aggressive, force owners to spend a lot of money so my team can do that and win. Nah. It's not what it's going to be. It's not what it's going to be. Owners want to be able to be lazy and incompetent and still get financially rewarded. Whatever the lockout ends up being, if it's not a case of the owners will be able to be lazy and incompetent and not care and ha go years between competitive windows and not even try, I'll be shocked. About the only way that I can see owners getting pantsed is for 
the antitrust exemption to go away. If the antitrust exemption were to go away, owners would probably then have to try to win. Because if the antitrust exemption would go away, teams who are like the 2021 Dodgers, who spent aggressively, would get rewarded. As of right now, nah, really not, really not. After all, the Dodgers had a great offseason as far as adding this and adding that and adding the other thing and putting this together and putting that together. But the Giants, who spent a whole lot less money, nosed them out by a game for the Western Championship. And while the Dodgers beat the Giants in the postseason, they were not able to beat the Braves, who would go on to win the championship. And when you're spending that much money, even though you're just spending ticket money and you're still making a whole crap ton of money, you re- the owners really wanted more than we won the wild card, we won the wild card round, we won the next round, but failed to make the World Series. Failed to make the World Series is tantamount to, yeah, we failed for a lot of owners, or at least owners who are trying to win. Because winning the wild card and reaching the NLCS is not winning. It isn't winning. I'm not going to talk about the lockout much. I've about talked it out. There's not a whole lot to talk about during a lockout. You can talk about, is Carlos Correa going to sign with the Cubs? I don't know. Are the Cubs going to trade this player or that player or the other player or pick up this bad contract? I don't know. Tell you this, we're not going to find out until the lockout's done. And since when people talk about the lockout, they don't talk about the lockout in a way that intrigues me even remotely, I'm probably not going to talk about it. Not very much at all. Thanks for stopping by. I'll have another podcast up soon. The circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to have that worth your time as well. Be safe, go Cubs, go. And remember, owners want to make money. Be nice to people.